Please uh, turn with me to first, the first epistle of Paul to the, uh, the apostle to the Thessalonian, the church in Thessalonica. Uh, we'll read from chapter 1, verses 1 to verses 10. Right. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Sorry. <laughs> Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's give thanks for the word of God. Father, we thank you for uh, the word that has been read. We thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, the church of Thessalonica. And this morning, Lord, as we come into your presence, as we quiet down our hearts, Lord, we pray that you speak to us through your words that we will um, receive from you uh, something from you today that will stir our spirits, that will cause us to desire to draw closer to you. Father, we commit this time into your hands. You set it apart that your glory will be manifested in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I've titled my sermon for this morning, Transform for God's Glory. And it is taken from this first uh, chapter of uh, this letter to the Thessalonian church. And now, the Thessalonian church was a thriving and growing church. It, it was situated in a Roman city of Thessalonica. And this city was a wealthy city. It was a business city. It was a city where all business transactions and, were conducted and uh, not only that, it was also a city where politics was, was made. Um, so it was a bit like KK, maybe, or a bigger city where we have uh, banking, where we have um, you know, the state assembly, where we have all the government administration. So Thessalonica was a major city in the Near East. Now, it was also a city that was a melting pot of religion. There were, so many, there were many religions there because there was a lot of people from different walks of life, from different nationalities, from different uh, countries. So there were Greek and Roman gods that were worshipped, you know, uh, Zeus, uh, Zeus including. And there were also Egyptian deities that were being worshipped. Um, but not only that, there was a... Um, 
many temples that were there that were used to worship. Now, apart from that, there was also, of course, the Roman, uh, Roman imperial cult where they worshipped Caesar, right, as a god. Yet, in the midst of all this, um, you know, roja, in the midst of all these things that we see, uh, in the midst of all the circular influences that are coming into them, in the midst of all uh, this kind of pressure that they are facing, the church in Thessalonica was able to grow. It was a fruitful church. Um, it was not distracted by um, you know the circular pool. It was not. Um, it was not distracted by all the religions that were around it, but it remained holy. Right, and indeed, uh, Paul even mentioned just now, as we've read. Uh, in Thessalonians, right? It says here, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention to you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So that was the, that was the hallmark of the Thessalonians. They, they were renowned for that. In spite of all the opposition, in spite of all the sort of uh, pressures from the world and, uh, and circular society, they were able to thrive. They were able to, to live a, a life where faith was evident, where um, what they do was filled with love and where they continued to hope in Christ. Now, in this season, as we prepare to consecrate our lives uh, for the Lord's acceleration, as uh, Ken and Kenneth has shared last week, what are the hallmarks of the Church of Thessalonica that can, can we take with us in order that we too are sanctified, in order that we too are transformed for God's glory? So here I've uh, put down three points for us to take home with us. Um, so the first one is that transformation comes when we acknowledge uh, Lord Jesus as He is revealed and proclaimed in the Scripture. Uh, please turn with me as we go to the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 1 to 4. Okay, have we found it? Okay, shall we read together the word of God? Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. There was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. So this is a passage that tells us about the church in Thessalonica. So what happened was Paul and Sylvanus and Timothys. Now Sylvanus is also known as Silas. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy were on a mission trip, and they went to Thessalonica. And here they met with all the Jewish uh, and uh, Jewish and other believers of, um, you know, who worship Yahweh, who worship the God of Israel. And so this was uh, where Paul first encountered the Thessalonians. Now, as we can see here, that 
Paul's ministry was focused on the people in the synagogue, right? It says here that for three Sabbaths, he went and reasoned with those who were in the synagogue. These were Jews. Perhaps some of them were Greeks. Perhaps some of them were other nations, what we call proselytes, those who receive and believe in the God of Israel. Now, they were a community of people who worship Yahweh. And they were, of course, a community who read the scriptures, right? So the word of God was not something new to them. They, were, they would have been very familiar with the word of God because they would have received the word of God being read to them in the temples, in the synagogues. And these were perhaps also faithful worshippers who were regularly present in the synagogue to worship God and to listen to the word of God. So they were there perhaps to consider um, things to do with, the, uh, with God and His glory and also to consider how they can live according to His will, His law and His commandments. And it is to them that Paul reached out. In Acts chapter 17, verse 3, it says that Paul reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining, demonstrating that Jesus is Christ. Paul went to them with the good news of Jesus to tell them that Jesus is the one that they're looking for, uh, the one that is the fulfillment of uh, God's promise, that He is the promised one, the Messiah. And, of course, verse 4 tells us that they were persuaded, right? Uh, that Jesus is Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. Um, and, and here's the interesting thing. Now, these were not just uh, people who did not know God. These were not just people who um, did not know the gospel, uh, sorry, the word of God. And these were not just people who did not know the God of Israel. But these were people who were familiar with God. These were people who worshipped in the synagogues, in the temples, and everywhere. And yet, to them... Um, their lives needed something more than just that. Something more than just the Word of God being read to them every Sabbath. Something more than just um, coming to worship in the temple. Paul had to give them something uh, that will help them to transform their lives uh, from what they read in the Word. And that something is Jesus. They needed to see um, Jesus being revealed to them in the scripture. They needed to be touched by Jesus uh, that is revealed in the scripture. If not, then their lives will be just normal, right? There will be no difference in their life. Uh, as we can tell from the book of Acts, they were perhaps just one of the, other, one of the many religions and religious people who were in Thessalonica. There was no difference. They didn't make an impact in the city. Yes, perhaps they were good with business. Yes, they were perhaps good with politics. Yes, perhaps they were good with commercial things. But yet, they did not make a spiritual impact in the city. Were they faithful in the temple? Yes. Were they faithful with the word of God? Perhaps so. What we know is that they are faithful to enter into God's presence every Sabbath. But even then, it is not enough. It is not sufficient. They needed to know Jesus revealed in the Word of God. Only then did their lives change, right? Let's go back to uh, the book of Acts again in um, chapter 17. 
and see what happened when they re received this good news uh, that Paul gave to them, that Jesus is Christ, that is revealed in Scripture. Um, in verse 5, we read from verse 5 onwards. Is it up? Yeah, okay. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So, once the people of the synagogue, once these Jews and, uh, received Jesus and accepted that Jesus is Lord, something changed in the spiritual atmosphere. They were transformed. Suddenly, there was a stirring. It was not the same again. People felt that these are troublemakers. Perhaps they were, right? Uh, in, in, uh, in, in verse 6, it says here um, that these are the ones who have turned the world upside down. Um, a f quite a number of years ago, I think 10 years ago, we used to have a youth fellowship and we named it Flip 180, right? And we had a lot of youth, uh, most of them were Chinese speaking. And uh, that, that name, Flip 180, actually is, uh, is from this verse itself, from Acts 17, uh, verse 6, where it says, these people stirred the world and turned it upside down, right? So it was called Flip 180. Uh, and, and, and that was what happened, right? Suddenly, they made a difference in the city. Suddenly, um, they made an impact. And what a transformation it was because they stood and the people thought they caused trouble. Um, so this is where the passage begins to speak to us. You know, for all of us, we may be faithfully attending church every Sunday. Uh, we may be faithfully worshipping the Lord. We may be faithfully reading the Word every day. We may be faithfully listening to sermons or even discussing about the Word, talking about the Word, debating about the Word engaging with the word, talking about his kingdom. But that is not the goal. That is not the purpose of our coming to church or reading the Bible. The word of God must transform us. The word of God must make a difference in our lives. When we read the word of God, does it change us or is there no difference? Does it stir our hearts? It must change us. Only um, only then will, will we, it have any effect on our lives and in our community. And only then can we be just like the Thessalonians, you know, to have a work that is work in faith, labor and love, and to hope unceasingly in Jesus. So for us, the same kind of requirement is needed, that we need to encounter Jesus in the Scripture. We need to acknowledge this Jesus as revealed and proclaimed uh, to us in Scripture. Well, you know, you may say that, isn't that what we do every Sunday? You know, when we come here, isn't that we do, what we do every day of our lives? 
worship Jesus and uh, read the Word, allow the Word to come into our lives. Yes, that's true. That's what we do. But, you know, this season, I want to challenge us to go so much deeper than perhaps what we are doing right now in our own lives and in the church. You know, for a start, what do we mean when we say we acknowledge Jesus? Who is this Jesus that we acknowledge? Do we know him for certain? Is he just the name Jesus? Now, for the Thessalonians and the neighboring cities, they didn't just accept Paul's good news for them uh, at face value. They searched the scriptures. They looked deep into the scriptures for Jesus. They were diligent to uncover for them this Jesus uh, who is found in scriptures. And for them, you know, when we talk about scriptures for the Jews, it was basically just um, the five books of Moses, right? And then uh, the history books, and then the prophets and the songs, which is Psalms, uh, um, Proverbs, Songs of Solomon, and all these. So it was just basically the Old Testament. But even then, they were able to see Jesus being revealed in the Old Testament. They searched the scriptures diligently. They wanted to know who this Jesus was. They didn't just receive Jesus on face value. Um, in our own lives, in our journey with the Lord, do we just receive Jesus at face value? When I stand here preaching to you, do you just receive the word that I, receive, uh, that, that I share to you? Or do you dig deeper? Do you prove for yourself what I'm saying with the word of God? We can't just um, be lax about this. We can't just be so chill about who Jesus is. We need to find him in the scripture. We need to discover for ourselves who he is. We need to be diligent. We need to have the tenacity to find Jesus. Is Jesus only found in the New Testament? Definitely not. Because for the Thessalonians, they didn't have the New Testament. They found Jesus in the Old Testament. And it proved to them who Jesus was. In the same way in our lives, we cannot stop... Um, our discovery of Jesus cannot stop at sermons. You know what I'm saying? Um, you cannot rely on Leonard or Pastor Margaret or Kenneth Kenneth to be the ones who will feed you continuously with the Word of God and who Jesus is. You need to discover for yourself who He is. You need to encounter Him in the Bible. You need to encounter Him in, uh, in the Scripture. You need to discover. You need to dig. You need to go deeper. And that is the challenge for us, um, you know, this period of Lent. Do we know Jesus? Do we know Him just as uh, God in the broad sense, King and Savior? But what else? Who is Jesus? Is he just these three things that we know so often, that we sing so often about? Um, you know, there's this very, used to be a very popular song in the 1980s. Uh, well, it's not really a song, but it's more like a, a passage that was read by Don Mowen. So you may know Don Mowen if you're old enough, like me. Uh, and there was this song uh, where it says, Jesus revealed from Genesis to Revelation. I'm not sure whether you, you've, uh, you've heard this before. If you haven't, you can check it out 
on Spotify or on YouTube. It's basically him reading out who Jesus is as revealed throughout the gospel, throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. And you should listen to this. It really stirs your heart. It really opens up your mind to see that Jesus is everywhere in the Bible. You know, the, 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 um, the hope of Jesus, meaning, you know, not, not, not as in the Jesus as a person, but the hope of Jesus. That people uh, can see that, oh, this is a reflection of who Jesus can be, you know, in our lives. So, for instance, in Genesis, uh, Jesus is our creator. In Exodus, uh, he is our Passover lamb, because we know that. In Leviticus, he is the high priest. Uh, in Numbers, he is the water in the desert who quenches our thirst. In Deuteronomy, he is our eagle, uh, and he comes, he is the eagle wings of deliverance. Uh, in Joshua, he's the commander of the army of the Lord. In Judges, he's the Lord of peace. In Ruth, he is our redeemer. In 1 Samuel, he's the prophet, he's the priest and king. In 2 Samuel, he's the rock of salvation. In 1 King, he's the builder of the temple that will never fall. In 2 Kings, he is the reigning king. In 1 Chronicles, uh, he is the son of David that is coming to rule. In 2 Chronicles, he is the king who reigns eternally. In Ezra, he is the priest proclaiming freedom. Nehemiah, the one who restores what is broken. In Esther, the protector of his people. In Job, the mediator between God and men. In Psalms, he is our song in the morning and in the night. In Proverbs, our wisdom and strong tower. In Ecclesiastes, our meaning for life. In Song of Solomon, he is the author of faithful love. In Isaiah, he is our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. In Jeremiah, he is the weeping Messiah. In Lamentations, he assumes God's wrath for us. He takes on God's wrath for us. In Ezekiel, he is the Son of Man. In Daniel, he is the Son of God with us in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he is the faithful husband even when we are unfaithful. In Joel, he is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he delivers justice to the oppressed. In Obadiah, he is the mighty saviour. In Jonah, the great missionary. In Micah, he casts our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. In Nahum, he proclaims future world peace. In Habakkuk, he crushes injustice. In Zephaniah, he is the warrior who saves. In Haggai, he restores our worship. In Zechariah, he is Lord and King over all the earth. In Malachi, the son of righteousness who brings healing. In Matthew, he is Messiah who is King. In Mark, he is the Messiah who is a servant. In Luke, he is the Messiah who is the deliverer. In John, he is the Messiah who is a God in the flesh. In Acts, the Spirit who dwells in his people. In Romans, he is the power of God unto salvation. In 1 Corinthians, he is our conqueror over death. He is our resurrection. In 2 Corinthians, he is the down payment of what's to come. In Galatians, he is our inheritance. In Ephesians, he is our peace at the right hand of the Father. In Philippians, he is the God that supplies all our needs. In Colossians, he holds the supreme position over all things. 
He subjects all things under his feet. In 1 Thessalonians, he is our comforter in the last days. In 2 Thessalonians, he is our returning king. In 1 Timothy, he is our crown of righteousness. In 2 Timothy, he is our Christ, our helper. In Titus, he is our hope. In Philemon, he is a friend that sticks close, closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he is our high priest. In James, he is our great physician. In 1 Peter, he is our hope of times of suffering. In 2 Peter, he is a restorer of all things. In 1 John, he is our love and light. In 2 John, he is Christ comes in flesh. In, in 3 John, he is our prosperity, health, and peace. In, in Jude, Jesus is coming, is the coming Lord with his believers. And in Revelation, Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And, um, you know, this is just 66 things of who Jesus is. But out of all these, how many have, do we know? You know do we, we know that Jesus is the great physician. We know that he's the high priest. But what else? Have we been diligent to find Jesus in the scriptures? And we need to do that. If we want um, our lives to be transformed, if we want the word of God to make a difference in our lives, we, we need to search the scriptures for Jesus. We need to know who this Jesus is as revealed to us um, in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 to 22, if you have it, uh, John, do you have this? No. Okay. Uh, let's turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 19 to 22. Okay, if you found it, uh, you can read it with me. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, uh, Salvanius, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him are men, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us in God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Now, this Bible verse talks about Jesus as as, uh, as the fulfiller of God's promises, that everything that the Lord has promised in the Scripture, in the Word of God, in everything that the Lord has promised in our own lives is fulfilled in Jesus, uh, is yes and amen in Jesus, right? But if we do not know who this Jesus is, then it's very difficult for us to be able to claim all the promises uh, that Christ has for us in Jesus, isn't it? Now, let's say um, we talk about healing. Now, we know Jesus as the great physician, the one who heals. And God has promised us healing in our lives. But if we do not know Jesus as the great physician for ourselves, if we do not encounter him, uh, if we do not discover for ourselves what the word of God says about healing, about what Jesus has done, then we wouldn't proclaim or we wouldn't um, we wouldn't pro, uh, ask for that promise in our own lives, right? 
if we don't think, if we don't know Jesus as the healer, then we wouldn't claim the promise of healing in our own lives, right? Like, you don't come to me to ask about insurance. I do not know anything about insurance, right? And so, because that is not who I am, you know, that's not my job and that is not what I know, right? Or you don't go to someone uh, like uh, Sean and ask him, uh, you know, about things like cooking, right? I don't know. I don't know whether Sean is good at cooking. <laughs> um, because he may, he may cook, but he's, not, he's probably not the best cook. I need to ask Eileen, right? Uh, or you wouldn't come to someone uh, like Simon, you know, and ask him uh, something perhaps about philosophy or something about law, you know. Perhaps he knows, but then uh, he's not a lawyer, so he can't give us uh, all the answers that we need, right? So in the same way, um, when, when we go to, to someone like uh, Henry again, once again, right? Uh, and, we, and we look at him and say uh, he's an engineer, right? And he uh, has a lot of experience in construction. But if we don't believe that he's an engineer, and uh, we don't think that he uh, has experience in construction, then we would not go to him and ask him, right, about things to do with construction, about building. Because we're just not confident. We're just not sure. So in the same way with Christ, with the Lord, with Jesus, if we do not know who he is, if we do not know him as the great physician who heals, who has healed and will heal, then we would not come to the Lord and say, Lord, please heal me. We would not have that confidence to come and claim that promise in our lives. What else? Um, if we do not believe that Jesus is the provider, then we wouldn't come to him to ask him to provide for all our needs. If we do not believe that Jesus, if we do not know Jesus as the one who delivers us, then we wouldn't come to him to ask for deliverance, to ask to be set free from Jesus. So in our own lives to be transformed, we, we, need, to, we need to encounter Jesus uh, in the scriptures and we need to acknowledge who Jesus is, not just our saviour, our king, our Lord, but He is much more than that. He is much more than that. And I want to challenge us um, this period of Lent as we enter into a time of consecration. Search the Scriptures. Be diligent. Be like the Thessalonians. Find out who this Jesus is for yourself. Right? Uh, and don't just rely on, on, on your leaders. Don't just rely on the preachers. Don't just rely on the sermons that you listen to. The, the book is in your hand. Find for yourself who Jesus is. Encounter Jesus. And every time you encounter, claim that promise for yourself. Jesus, you are the great physician. Lord, heal me of my infirmities. Jesus, you are the provider. Lord, provide for me my daily bread. Jesus, you are the one who forgives. Help me to forgive others as well. It is only when we see Jesus in what we read in the Word will our lives be transformed. Um, 
And second thing is, transformation begins when we acknowledge the Scripture as the Word of God. Now, in Thessalonica, um, as we've just read, there were those who were persuaded and there were those who were not persuaded that Jesus is the Son of God, that He's the Messiah. Uh, and, in, uh, and those who, who, who were persuaded received the Word of God as it is, right? Let's turn to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13. Okay, let's read. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you have heard from us, you welcomed it not, not as the word of men, but as it is, in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Uh, and you see here that the Thessalonians welcome the word that Paul shared to them as the word of God, not as the word of men. And because of that, it was able to work effectively in their lives, in the lives of those who believe that Jesus is Christ. Now, in the same way in our own lives, unless we acknowledge that this is the Word of God, then it would not transform us. It would not change us one bit, right? If we're not persuaded that, that this is the Word of God and uh, not the Word of men, then we would not have confidence in it. We would not even trust in it. And if we do not believe that this is the word of God, then the word of men, of other men, will be more persuasive. The word of the world, perhaps. Uh, circular world, whether it's politicians, uh, whether it's um, um, popular people, whether it's people around us, whether it's the kopitiam friends that we have, we would trust their words even more than the word of God because we do not hold this as the Word of God. We do not hold it as the final say in our lives, as the final say in things that we face in our own lives. Right? Isn't that true? Right? Um, if we do not believe that, that this is indeed the Word of God, we will not follow it. And, and by extension, when that happens, it is not able to transform us fully. We'll be taking the Word of God bit by bit. We perhaps choose the bits that we like. And the bits that we don't, then we just uh, flip another page. Lor, you know? uh, maybe we put a bookmark there. Bookmarks, uh, by the way, doesn't work for me. I don't know about you. I have a lot of bookmarks. But uh, yeah, you know, they're there. But I never, I never get back to the bookmark ever. Uh, but I don't know about you, right? Is it the word of God to us? Or is it just the word of man? Are we persuaded that it is the word of God in our own lives? Right. Uh, you know, I had to wrestle with this part for myself. You know, what do you mean whether I believe that it is the word of God or not? Of course I do, right? But what is the depth of our belief? Do we believe just in the surface? Yeah, it is the word of God, you know. Uh, because we can, you know. We can believe uh, in the surface only. Um, do you believe uh, something that um, you know, uh, the chief minister said to you? Like, let's say if he promised to do something, a project. The newest project is the flyover at uh, Binampang, right? Now, you believe or not? You don't know, see? Right? But, uh, but do you believe that it's the chief minister who said that? Yes, you do, 
right? But you, you, you're not really sure whether what he says will actually happen, right? In the same way with the Word of God. We may say that it is the Word of God. We may be persuaded that, yes, this is, this is Christ that is revealed in the Word of God. But, but do we fully immerse ourselves and, re, you know, that it is the Word of God, that whatever he says will happen, that I, I really believe it, I really believe it, right? Uh, because it will change the way we, we operate. It will change the way we, uh, we live our lives, right? Um, I, I, I tried to look for examples of how the first century church would have responded to the word of God um, when, they, when Paul or the, or the apostles shared it to them, right? Um, and the only place that I found, I, I couldn't find it in, 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 uh, for the Thessalonians, right? Because it was very brief. It, was, it only said that they were persuaded and they believed. Um, and so the only place I found was in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. This was when Peter um, shared the word of God to those who were in Jerusalem and revealed how Christ is the promised one in the word of God, right? Uh, so if you turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. Uh, you have it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, Acts, chapter 2, verses 36 to 38 says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this was the only response I found for first century church uh, when, they, when they heard about the word of God. Uh, I, I need to find more diligently, but this is the only one I found. Uh, and, and that's the kind of response that is expected when we receive the word of God, when it really touches our hearts. It causes us to be stirred in our hearts and become ganjong and say, what do we do? This is the word of God. This is what it says. What should we do? And, and it seems that Peter only had one answer. Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for remission of sin and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but of course, then I said, uh, yeah, you know, I... I'm baptized already, ma. I already repent, I have the Holy Spirit. I'm confirmed some more in the Anglican Church, not just baptized, right? So how does this apply to me? Um, but I believe this is a, a very basic foundation um, for all of us as Christians, that the Word of God should, should cause us to consider our lives deeply. If we truly believe that it is the Word of God, um, and that we are sinners, that we are sinful, then it should cause us to consider it uh, in comparison with who God is. God is holy, He's righteous, He's judge, just. There is no wrong in Him. There is no darkness in Him. And when I reflect the Word of God upon my own life and who God is, it should bring me to a place of repentance. Right. Of course, I thought about this you know, is it true? Can it be true? Can I apply this to every part of the Bible? When I read the Word of God, 
is it true that it will bring me to a place where I need to repent, I need to humble myself? Uh, and I thought about it, and I can't say that it's not true. And I feel that it is true. It is true. When we read the Word of God, when we are serious about the Word of God, it will bring us to a place of repentance, of humbleness, of humility, to realize that this is who I am. And, you know, and God, I'm not living to the standard uh, which I should. I'm not living as who I'm intended to live as, as who you have created. And you are God, you are holy. And, 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 and you know, you are great. And I'm a sinner. And, and that should be the kind of response uh, that we get when we read the Word of God. But then you ask, but how does this apply to, let's say, a psalm about thanksgiving, about thanks, thankfulness? If I read a psalm about thankfulness, how, how, how does re repentance come into, into place? Well, then I can tell you that perhaps it's because sometimes we're just not being thankful enough in our own lives. Perhaps there are places in our own lives where we don't even want to be thankful. You know, where we hold back thankfulness. And that is a place where we can repent and come to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I should be thankful in this part of my life, but I am not. And ask the Lord to forgive us for our, you know, uh, for, not, for not being thankful, for not having gratitude. Or you may say, what about if it's a psalm of worship? Uh, how, how, how does repentance come into, into place? Well, um, perhaps our lives, we don't live a life of worship. Right? We don't worship the Lord enough. Uh, or, or we don't set apart our lives for worship. And that will be a, a, an opportunity for us to draw close to the Lord and say, Lord, um, you know, I ask for repentance. Uh, I ask for forgiveness for, for not having the heart of worship, for not coming to you in worship. So there is always an opportunity in the Word of God for us to come uh, in humility to ask the Lord to forgive us for not living up to what, how He wants us to live. And if there are times where we look at our own lives, uh, you know, maybe during Holy Communion, and then it says, let's come before the Lord uh, and bring to the Lord uh, all our sins and all that we've done wrong. And then if, if you catch yourself ever saying, mm, I think I'm clear today, my slate is clean, uh, my whiteboard is clean already, you know, I don't have anything to repent, then automatically straight there, you have one repent thing to repent for already, which is your pride, right? Because you think that you do not have any sins. So in our lives, there's always an opportunity for us to ask the Lord to forgive us for our shortfall, to forgive us for our sins, right? Sometimes it may be just reading a passage about a relationship between a father and a son, or even a husband and a wife, or even friends, right? And you ask yourself, how, how do I, where is there an opportunity for repentance here? But then perhaps the Lord will reflect, ask you to reflect on your own relationships in your own life. Is there a place where you have um, you know, offended a brother, or whether you have taken offense towards a brother and because of that you have unforgiveness and then it sets you on this journey to repent 
to ask the Lord to forgive you for what you have done so that your heart is made right in the Lord, so that your heart is transformed. Um, you know, very recently, I, I listened to this sermon that was uh, on Instagram, I think it was, right, by this uh, lady, uh, and, and she was talking about circular music and how it affects us in our spirit, right, because of the creator of the music um, sometimes um, creates after being inspired by some belief that they have in some um, other god, in some other idol, in some other demon, right? And, and so we as listeners receive that uh, creative idea into our own lives. And it, 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 uh, it, will, it will disturb our spirit, you know. It will cause us to have something that is not right in our own lives. So, so recently she was talking about that and she was challenging uh, Christians to, to live a life with more wisdom, right? And to make sure that whatever we receive on the TV, whether it's K-drama or whether it's K-pop or whether it's whatever, whatever you like to listen to, um, we need to subject it to the Word of God. We need to subject it to the Spirit of the Lord to ensure that whatever we see does not affect our spirit, does not affect our relationship with God. So, when, uh, when, I, when I listened to that, that uh, short sermon, uh, I was stirred, right? Because I love music a lot. I really love music. Uh, and I listen to all sorts of music, right? Um, I listen to opera, right? Uh, European opera. Chinese opera, not so much. Uh, because I haven't, uh, haven't really appreciated it. But uh, I listen to classical music. I love classical music. Uh, I listen to rock, I listen to jazz, I, I listen to pop, I listen to all sorts of music. And for me, I always say, oh, you know, I, I listen to some very, uh, some bands that are really very dark because I'm trying to pick up things that they do with, let's say, the instruments, with the piano, with the guitar, so that I can like uh, learn, you know, like, oh, this is how I can be creative. Right, um, so that has always been the reasoning that I use um, for doing what I do. And but then after listening to this sharing of from this lady, uh, suddenly she turned my world upside down. Uh, because suddenly now I have to consider whether the things that I listen to is re really benefits me in my spirit, or whether it really harms me more than it benefits me. Me, right? Um, and, and, and now I have to make a decision, right? To overhaul my, my playlist, my Spotify playlist. Uh, I have like more than 4,000 songs that I like, 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 like. Uh, because some songs may not benefit me. Some songs may, may injure my spirit. Some songs may, may cause me to, you know, may... may may just um, strain my relationship with God. Now. And that is a decision I need to make. Now, now, that is where I stand right now, right? Do I believe that this is the word of God for my life? 
or do I think that it's just the word of a woman you know, and her opinions? If I think that it's just the word of a woman and her opinions, then I'm just going to continue listening to my, to my 4,000 songs. You know? And I'm not going to bother about what she says. But if it is the word of God, and if it is from God, then I will need to repent. Right? I need to tell, I need to come to the Lord and say, forgive me, Lord, for, you know, for, for really putting all these things into my life and causing my spirit to be dull in you. In the same way in our own lives, um, when the word of God comes to us, do we just take it as, like that and, and, and not move with it or do we, does it cause us to, to come to a place of repentance, of humility and say, Lord, I think I'm tall. You know, I'm not supposed to live like that. It should cause us to be like that. It, it should stir our heart like that. Because the word of God is holy and we are unholy. Right? Uh, we have the flesh in us. It, it, it should cause us to be like that. So sometimes when they read the word of God, if, it dull, if, if, if you don't feel inspired or stirred by it, then we, we need to ask the Lord, Lord, why, why is my heart dull when I read the word of the Lord? Why doesn't it stir my heart? Is it because there's something in my life that is stopping me from receiving um, the, the whole ministry of the word? You know, not just the word as we read it, but deeper than that. What, how it touches us, how it stirs us, how it causes us to be transformed. And I hope for our, our lives, um, this period of Lent as we consecrate our lives, that we will have that experience. You know? We read the Word of God, uh, wow, it touches us, bang. It, it, something just pops in our head and say, Lord, it's speaking to me. You know, there's something in my life that I, I need to make right, that I need to change. And I pray in the same way for my life as well, that I would start removing songs from my life that do not benefit me, right? Because I feel that is what the Lord desires. And finally, lasting and effective transformation can only happen through the work of the Holy Spirit. Because it will cause us, my friends, it will cause me. I find it very difficult to let go of songs that I find uh, I enjoy, right? But it will cause me, so I need to let go. It will be painful, right? Repentance is never fun. Repentance is never easy, but it is necessary. It is necessary for our lives. It is necessary for transformation. And if we do it with our own strength, we will fail. Uh, yes, you may have um, some improvement for a few days, for a few weeks, but after that, you will fall back to where you are again, right? Without the Holy Spirit, there is no true fruitfulness. But with the Holy Spirit, there is transformation, there is fruitfulness. So I want to encourage us um, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, verses 5 to 6. It says here, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power power of the Holy Spirit, and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we are among you for your sake. 
and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. It wasn't easy for them receiving the word. It cost them. But with joy of the Holy Spirit. And dear friends, um, let us be faithful to what God is saying to us in our lives. It will cost us. It is painful, of course, because it is something in our flesh that will always cry out and say, no, don't do this. You enjoy your life as it is. Why change? You know, do your repentance at your deathbed lah. You know, before you die, uh, just say, God, forgive me. And then the last breath. Then on your tombstone, it says he was right before God. He asked for forgiveness before he died. Amen. But then, <laughs> what are the consequences of our disobedience? There's many. We fall into curses. We fall into traps. We fall into all sorts of things that Satan will do harm in our lives. Right? Um, so it may cause us it is painful but when we do it with the help of the Holy Spirit with the strength of the Holy Spirit there will be joy in the end because when our hearts are transformed um, you know we will see that we have changed we are living the way that Lord, the Lord wants us we are walking in His purpose we are walking in His will and that the Holy Spirit will be the one that gives us joy so as I look into my life and as I consider what I need to do uh, in the short term to spring clean my song list, it is painful. Um, but I believe that when I do it, when I do it in obedience, that, um, that I will see a transformation in my own life, um, that I will see um, things differently, that creativity will be different because it is it will be from the Holy Spirit, right? Um, what are the things that the Lord is speaking to you in your own life? You don't need to look far. I always believe that when you read the Word of God, right, there's always something that tickles your, your head, you know, uh, and that something, right, is what God is trying to tell you. Uh, you, need to, you need to clear this up all in your life. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to you, right? And, and don't, don't, don't be too slow to respond to that. Respond to that. Respond to that because that is, that is God speaking to you. There's the Holy Spirit working in you. And uh, my encouragement is do it. Even though how painful, cut it off. Walk away from it. It will be painful. It will drive you to your knees. It will make you cry. It will probably make you scream and shout and fight. But do it. Do it in obedience. Turn, turn away from what God is asking you to turn away. And I guarantee you that the Holy Spirit will minister to you and will bring His joy to you and you'll see transformation in your life. This is a season of transformation, of consecration, of acceleration. What is the Lord um, asking and challenging in your own life for you to do this Lent? It may be many, but I would say focus on one. Focus on one and, and start there, right? And I believe that when we walk faithfully in the way that God wants us to walk, then we would be able to live just like the Thessalonians whose lives were transformed, that they were able to work with faith, to labor in love, and to continue to have hope in Jesus.